One thing I loved is they work in cooperatives. So six women will be in a co-op. And if my business has, has suffered this week, then Christina, you, you're, if you're in my co-op and your business is doing well, then you would maybe l- lend me some money to help me get back on my feet this week. Then I pay it back. And so they're almost like sharing resources. They take care of each other's children. If someone is sick, then they help, they all, you know, help to contribute financially towards that person. And it's, it's completely collaborative. And I just found it so impressive. I came back from that trip and I thought, what the heck am I doing? <laughs> A trip to Kenya where my guest was supposed to see how her giving in the form of business loans changed the life of six women. Instead, Stacey Keogh was the one who learned an important lesson. In this trip, she saw how the six women collaborated with each other. And remember, they live in a poor country where little money is a true luxury but they have the abundant mindset. Instead of competing with each other, they support each other, not only emotionally, but financially as well. When one woman needed money for whatever reason, the other women who have the upper hand gave the money. At that moment, Stacy learned, it is not about each of us. It is all about all of us. It is about humanity. It is about a planet of people making a difference. That's the power of tiny giving to create massive impact. Daisy Keo is the founder of a marketing agency in the United Kingdom called Brand Lective. I have invited Stacy to this podcast series, The Gift of Giving More Social Impact, to share about the 1 Million Days by 2030 campaign, where she partners with B1G1. Also, I asked Stacy to share the process she goes through with her team to set up their annual impact objectives. We have less than a decade to become part of the solution to the world social and environmental issue, or what is known as the 17 United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Along with my guests in this podcast series, I would love for you to become part of the solution just by doing what you normally do in your business. Let's say you are interested in joining the movement, but you don't know how. Then you need to listen to my conversation with Masami Sato, the founder and CEO of B1G1. You can find this episode at christinashahli.com forward slash her CEO journey episode 92. B1G1 is a B Corp certified company, which means they are part of the community of business as a force for good. You can also find out more about the sustainable development goals using the link provided in the show notes. You're listening to Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for mission-driven women entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Christina Shahli. If you are new here, a big warm welcome. If we are not connected on LinkedIn, please reach out and say hi because that's where I hang out and share my business finance tips. If you have been listening to this podcast for a while and you are a regular listener, I want you to know I appreciate you. My podcast won't be around without your support. This is a free weekly show where my guests and I want to inspire you 
to balance between mission and profit, to create an impact in this world, and to achieve financial equality through your business. When you are building business as a force for good, the driving force behind what you want to achieve through your business came from your dissatisfaction with the problems around you, your community, and our world. Then you have this vision to solve those problems. Financial goal isn't the driving force. Financial goal is simply a numerical tool to keep you on track to achieve your social impact mission. It is even more critical for business as a force for good to know what are the right financial metrics to keep track. What are the story behind those metrics so you can build sufficient profit and cash to amplify your social impact mission? Let me share with you an example. I met with a product-based business owner who focused on using ingredients that are safe for people and the planet. She experienced tremendous growth in a short period of time. Her revenue growth was consistent. That she should be happy, right? She wasn't. She wasn't happy. She was stressed and confused. She couldn't understand why her business was close to bankrupt. You probably think that's impossible. After all, her business was growing and had consistent revenue. But that's the problem. She was too focused with revenue. She had no clue what other metrics to keep track. She didn't have a CFO to guide her. I don't want this to happen to you. If you don't have a CFO, while you experience high growth, but you have no clue on your business financial health, we should connect. In the meantime, let me share with you a roadmap. I call it the result roadmap. This roadmap will guide you to focus not only on increasing revenue, but it will also guide you to have more profit, more joy, more leads, while also contributing to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. I am more than happy to get you a copy of the results roadmap. There is a link in the show note where it says, Yes, Christina, please do send me that roadmap. It sounds interesting. When you click on that link, you will send me an email with your request, and I will send you a copy right away. This roadmap process is going to get you and your business to be more purposeful, much more profitable, and more joy. Now, let's find out Stacy's CEO journey. Stacy Kyo, welcome to her CEO journey. How are you? Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited. I'm really, really thrilled. Can you start with sharing with my audience, why did you get started with Brand Blackdiff? Originally, I'm from New Zealand and I had traveled around quite a bit before immigrating to London, which is now where my agency is based. And my previous job was within the travel industry. And I actually worked with a lot of different global brands. I was contracted with American Express and I worked with Morgan Stanley and AstraZeneca and Citigroup and lots of actually financial institutions. This was sort of around 2006, 2007, 2008. And as you can probably remember what happened around that time, a big global recession. So I unfortunately was made redundant three times over the course of a year. And obviously off the back of that, I just thought, I need more control. (laughs) I need to change what I'm doing. I cannot go through this again. This is just, it was horrific. 
But at the same time, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because it really did push me to go and do what I really wanted to do, which was get really into marketing. The internet had taken over and replaced the need for humans, basically. So um, I thought, wow, okay, I need to be involved with something that's developing because I cannot put myself in a situation again where I don't have that control. And, And really, like, the reason I started it was I wanted to help more small businesses to grow their brands online, to embrace digital, to get into social media, to stop being scared of it, embrace it, use it. And, you know, really grow their businesses. And, and that's essentially what we do now. So we've been in business a little over eight years. When you started with your own business, with Brand Lective, you basically were not greeted with open arms initially. That was what I read. What happened? Well, you have done your research, haven't you? <laughs> I was often questioned as to my skill set. And I was questioned as, you know, can you as a woman run your business by yourself? Like, how do you do this? Does your husband help you? Do you, who helps you? Who gives you advice? And I was just like, what are you talking about? Like, I do this by myself. That bothered me quite a lot. And unfortunately, it did happen fairly frequently. Even a few years into running my business, even, you know, even still now, occasionally, you know, I'm a speaker and I do a lot of events around the country and things. And I'm still approached by people who do ask me. How, how do I know how to do this by myself? Which is frustrating, <laughs> but I think it says more about the person asking the question than it possibly does about me. So I kind of move past it. So, you know, it's one of those things that I sort of enjoy, I guess, having those challenges and having those people push back on me because all that does to me is make me be more systematic about my approach to marketing. It gives me better processes. It makes me methodical. It makes me fight harder to win the business and prove myself. And I think that only, that's a good thing for our clients too, that, you know, I'm never comfortable. We're always pushing and striving for something bigger. So you just got to have a pretty thick skin, I suppose, in business, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So under your webpage, there is a corporate social responsibility. And it seems like you focus heavily on SDG number 10, reduce inequalities. So I'm curious, one, why did you choose and focus on SDGs number 10? Well, yes, go ahead. Was there a second part? Yes, (laughs) there is a second part. How do you structure your service to align with your bigger purpose? Okay, great. Love this. The big questions, huh? Uh -huh. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. Right. So SDG 10, which is reduced inequality. So that's the United Nations Sustainable Development Goal 10. What we actually did was when I first came across the 17 global goals, I was just blown away. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is amazing because it puts structure to some of the world's biggest problems. Right. And finally, I was like, I can see how we can do something to help contribute or, or to make an action towards this. Because beforehand, it's like, you know, how do you deal with poverty and how do you deal with inequality and all of these huge global issues? You just feel so small and it's it's really difficult to try to figure out how you can contribute. So I loved the structure of the, of the UN goals. So what I actually did was I went back to my team and we started to have discussions. Um, you know, what did they think about the goals? Uh, what stood out to them? What were they passionate about? And we just started to have these conversations internally to help really inform the culture, I guess, within the business. And this is kind of going back to 2016, I think, 2017. 
basically what I did is I asked each member of the team to pick a goal, which was their favorite goal and why, and pitch it to me as to why we as Brand Light Div should support it. So it was just kind of like a fun exercise that we did with the team. And basically what happened was more than 50% of the team actually ended up choosing goal number 10. And then, yeah, so it was really fascinating because I got to learn a lot about their experiences with inequality and they ranged from everything to have grown up, you know, have growing up in some form of poverty or race, or there were, there were, you know, every person had a different interpretation and experience with inequality. And so that was basically how we decided to, to go with that one. Yeah. And so then how we integrate that is we essentially just try to align every single action within the business to doing a tiny, small impact. And Christina, obviously, you know, because we met through B1G1 and I'm a yeah. big fan and, you know, mm-hmm. that's how we contribute and we we make our impacts. So, you know, within reducing inequality is really about giving people the opportunity to succeed and and, and what, whatever succeed, success means to them. So, you know, for in developing countries, that is something as simple as having shelter and access to clean drinking water in perhaps more developed countries. It's access to business loans and training. So we collaborate all of those things. So for example, when we sign a new client, we we uh, pay for one day's worth of human rights workers' wages to help support you know, those communities. When we build a website at our agency, we give two days worth of business training to women in East Africa. For every 30-day contract we complete, we give access to education and clean drinking water to girls in Cambodia. So um, every single action is aligned with a really small impact that all contribute towards one of those UN goals. Now, your personal experience, though, with SDG number 10, what is it? What is your personal experience? There's a couple of things. So I think for me, it was, I traveled, um, as I've kind of referenced, I'm from New Zealand and I left home at 22 and went traveling around the world. (laughs) And that was obviously amazing uh, all through South America, all through Europe. I then went on to, um, to India to, there's lots of different countries that I ended up traveling to. I think at, at this point, I think there's a little over 55 or 56 countries that I visited. And one thing that I observed this is particularly actually in South America during this particular trip. I spent four months there. I saw some really uncomfortable things. I met some, you know, some street children while I was in Bolivia and actually the same sort of similar situations in Peru where, you know, they were up at 11 o'clock midnight walking around the streets trying to sell cigarettes. And, you know, when we sort of were trying to talk to them and understand why were they doing that, it was uh, because they needed to, you know, raise or to to make money for their families, and when you start speaking to mm-hmm. some of the tour companies and you know the hotels and things, were sort of saying, "Oh, this is, you know, it feels uncomfortable." And how is this happening? And they said, "Well, actually, you know, a lot of times their parents choose to send out their." And I'm talking young children, you know, five year olds, six year olds. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they said that you know a lot of times they will choose to do that because they can make they can make more money that way. Um, unfortunately, you know, I I also remember meeting um a woman. There were, I was catching a bus somewhere uh, in soup from Sucre um, and there was this big bus strike and da, da, da. anyway, there was a woman on the street and she had these two young babies, twin babies. And I'd actually taken, you know, I'd, I'd gone to a Spanish school a little earlier. So I'd, I'd taken Spanish, I'd lived with a Spanish family, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I started to have this kind of conversation, try to understand the situation. And, and she explained that she had been, her husband had had an affair and had kicked her out onto the street with her two babies, like two twin babies. 
there was just a couple of moments like that where I just thought, my God, like, how is this possible? Like, how does this, how can this happen? You know, it was just, it was just, it really did kind of shake me. And I'm, I, it stuck with me a long time because I thought, I don't know how to help these people. I, you know, I'm just one person. At the time I was 21 or whatever I was, I was like, I don't, I don't know what to do about this. So yeah, I think there's just those sorts of little experiences. And again, you know, since we've gotten a little bit more involved in some of these projects and, and meeting with organizations that are actually making real change in the world, it's now allowed me to see that these micro tiny impacts that we're making they add up. And, you know, over the course of, you know, a number of years of these contributions, like we truly actually can make a change in some of these people's lives. And, you know, at Brandlander, we have a goal that we, by 2030, in line with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, that we will give 1 million days of access to human rights workers' wages. Which is an amazing <laughs> campaign. Yes, thank you. Amazing. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty cool. We just passed the 20% mark. So we've given it a little over 200,000 days so far. Yeah. So it's feeling cool. Um, and you know what? Like, if you think, I talk to a lot of businesses about this sort of thing, because if you think that you, you we've all experienced, we've all had those experiences, right? When we've gone on holidays, and we've seen poverty and we've seen these dire situations and, you know, maybe we give, you know, some cash out of our pocket or something in the moment, but then what does that really do? And how does that really help? And, and then we kind of go on our merry way and we forget about it. And actually, um, I, I don't, I think it's becoming more prevalent now where many of us are not okay with it. And we need to, we have this need or this sense of purpose to want to do more. And what I love about running a campaign like this and partnering with businesses that really contribute and love to do things like this is that over time we can see, we see an impact, right? Like to, to, to think at this point in just three years, we've been able to provide 200,000 days of human rights workers, wages, education, and business training to women in developing countries. I mean, that has to have made an impact, right? I traveled to Kenya last year with Paula Masami. Do you know that? <laughs> oh no, I, I mean, didn't know that. You just, <laughs> okay. So share that a little bit. changed <laughs> my life, honestly. Like, and I guess that the only reason I mentioned that is I want to back up what you're saying in terms of these small contributions, right? Because we had this amazing opportunity to, there was one organization we met with, uh, the Mango Tree, which you, I think a lot of people will know of, <laughs> but we got to work on, on the grassroots level with them. We built a mud house for this amazing family who needed it. But they also have this tree project where, you know, I think it's, I think it's 40p or something to plant a tree. That tree, they're crossbred. So that tree actually develops and starts to fruit within two years, which is obviously amazing. So this family within two years have this tree. And because they, the way that they're crossbred, they actually get two seasons as well. So two, you know, I'm not very good with the language, but basically fruits twice a year. <laughs> so they cultivate that fruit. Obviously, they can feed their families. They can sell it at the market. The planting the trees, what it does to the soil in terms of helping grow and develop other types of you know vegetables and things like that, it contributes. So it's just like this ongoing project that for this tiny minimal amount that really doesn't mean anything to us, particularly you know the businesses changes the lives of that family it's it's quite incredible um we also had yeah we had this opportunity they have what they call circular projects so there's also this goat giving project which is just insane and we got to meet a lot of the women we went to a village where there were 12 widowed women who were all gifted a goat um and I, you know a goat 
I know that we don't put the value on the monetary amount, but I think it's something like 12, 12 pounds or something, $15. And that goat is gifted to that person. They're taught how to raise them, you know, how to milk them. They sell the milk at the market. They're taught how to breed them. When that goat breeds, they then have to give the first kid to a neighbor who then, so it's just this ongoing circular project. They give them business training on how to, and so we met these women and they are, they were outstanding. They welcomed us. We danced and we sang with them and they prepared food. And it was just <laughs> the most joyous experience. It doesn't really matter how much it costs. It's really the impact and how that can actually transform and change those individuals' lives. So, Exactly. And I think that is what you just mentioned about giving a goat to this widow mm-hmm. or this woman, right? It's providing a tool for the person to support themselves, to be independent, and also to get out from poverty. They can make money. And it's it's just hitting so many SDGs over there. It's not only number 10. There's like number five, gender equality. There is number one, no poverty. There is no hunger, right? There is so many things that with just one, with $15 that you give, the impact is just so much bigger that than that the, the dollar amount, than the $15. That's what amazed me, right? I'm curious about this because you are a marketing person, right? Obviously, B1G1 it makes it very easy for businesses to be a business for good, right? And you even mentioned that in one of your blog that there are no longer any excuses for businesses not to do their bit for the environment or for charitable causes. But question is, how to correctly and ethically advertise yourself as such should you choose to pursue it. It shouldn't be just like a moment in time. And then it shouldn't be just part of your, I don't know, part of your marketing to attract the same people, but it should be ingrained in your business. It's such a difficult one because a lot of people feel sort of uncomfortable about this. I think the reason for that is we've all experienced some kind of green washing or, you know, where somebody kind of dangles something in front of you, like this is for good or almost like that guilt advertising when it comes to charities, right? And it's uncomfortable and we don't like it. And it's, it doesn't, it feels icky. Right. And I think that, that I experienced that, that was my fear of, right, this is something that we wanted to do, but how do we communicate that outwardly? So it doesn't feel like we're showing off or that it's an, yeah, for lack of a better term, icky. <laughs> yeah. And, and to be honest, I struggled with it for a while. Um, and initially the way that we handled it was that we didn't really talk about it outwardly. So I think that's the first maybe piece of advice is that if you're doing this for the purpose of looking good from a marketing perspective, that's the wrong agenda. <laughs> so the question is, would you do this and never tell anybody about it? If the answer is yes, ethically, you're doing it for the right reason because you believe in supporting this particular organization or this particular you know, SDG goal or whatever it is. So but the way that we did it at first was we didn't talk about it. We It was an internal thing. It was part of the culture of the business that our team understood what it was and that the only time that anybody else ever knew about it was if you were a client. So one thing that we do do is when when we do sign a new client, 
we onboard them, you know, they get a little package in the post, um, like a little welcome pack, some chocolates and a little notebook and a, and a certificate that says, you know, because you've become a client of ours, you have enabled one person to be paid for a human, uh, basically we fund the human rights workers wages is what the certificate says. But you didn't say anything to them at the beginning. You just kind of like, it's like a surprise. Yes, exactly. It's a surprise once they've already become a client. And that felt good to me because I thought, you know what, I'm not using it in my sales pitch. I'm not using it as a marketing tool. I'm going to do it anyway, but it is nice to communicate it once somebody is a confirmed client, because at that point they are completely overwhelmed. I Their feedback is just incredible because they were like, wow, we had no idea. You know, they just get, they get emotional. I've had people cry down the phone to me because they're so happy and just, they find it such a beautiful thing. So that's how we started off doing it. Really not that, you know, talking about it that outwardly. As we became more comfortable with this and and actually through encouragement of some of our clients that are like, how are you not telling us about this? Like, oh my God, if you told me about this so much sooner, I would have made a decision so much sooner about working with you. And even then I still put it off for a long time. But as over the years, I've become more confident in sharing that. I think because I know that it's, we're living our true values. I still don't talk about it on my sales calls. So if, you know, if you were to come to us and say, you know, I want to hire you as a marketing agency, I don't, I don't talk about it at all, but it is on our, our website. So if you do dig, you know, if you want to know enough about us, there is a, a page on our website called Social Impact, which shares, you know, what we do, how we do it, what we've achieved so far and what our goals are for the next 12 months. So it is actively there and we do talk about it a little bit on social. So we usually have one or two posts a month where we just give a little update on our accomplishments and what we've managed to achieve in line with our 1 million days initiative. Yeah, I would say we are sharing about it, but it's not in your face. It's not, you know, this is a reason you should hire us. It's more like it's going to happen anyway. Um, If you love it, then great. If you don't, then you're probably actually not the right client for us, to be honest. I totally understand. I felt uncomfortable about it too, worried that people were going to think it was like a marketing ploy. And I think the reality is people can feel that, people can smell that. If it is fake and it is for the purpose of marketing, people will realize that. And when it is real, people also realize that. How did you come up with the One Million Days initiative? It's been about two and a half, three years, something like that. We do an annual team day where we bring our whole team together because we have a lot of team members spread out throughout the UK. And so bringing them all to London for a team day. And we did this really fun thing. We were just having conversations about what the goals are in terms of our giving impacts and social impact and, and things like that. And I just said, you know, I really think we need to to have a huge goal. Like, let's just be crazy and just put this ridiculous goal in place because without having a metric to kind of work towards, we're not really holding ourselves accountable to anything. We just, it, it was a little bit inconsistent, you know, it was like, oh, this month we do this. Oh, we forgot, oops, we'll double do it this month or whatever. Yeah. So we just kind of chatted about it. And then someone threw out, oh, what if we just did it in line with the UN goals and said that we'll do a million days? And I was like, oh, oh God, that sounds like a lot. <laughs> yeah, I know. Whoa. <laughs> And I thought, okay. And then I I thought about it first. I was like, you know, when something scares you a little bit, it kind of makes you want to do it. (laughs) So I thought, okay, let's think about this. And then I thought, okay, I think this is good. I mean, we have at the time, we still had 
12 years to achieve that. So I thought, okay, yeah. in 12 years, we can definitely figure out a way to, to make that happen. And now we're, you know, two years into it or whatever. And now we've got 10 years left to go to be able to hit that target. We've already hit 20% of that. So we're easily going to hit a million days. If anything, we're going to probably double it, I would think. I love a lot of stuff on your website because I keep digging into it. Right? <laughs> so one, one of the other page that I really love, it's about your corporate social responsibility, right? Because I worked for a bigger company before. Obviously, there are CSR report out there, right? But what I really like with yours, for example, you, well, this is the 2020 objective. You are very specific very, very specific in what you want to accomplish and how you want to contribute to the SDGs in 2020, right? Now, as you are planning for 2021, yes. <laughs> are, are you done with 2021 yet? <laughs> Do you know what? Funnily enough, I have a strategy day tomorrow. <laughs> I think our goal for 2020 was 120,000 days towards this 1 million days goal which we have already achieved, which is great. So of course, it's going to have to be slightly more ambitious um, <laughs> for 2021. And, you know, we're really actually proud of achieving that in 2020 because it has been one of these years that's been pretty unpredictable and there's been lots of changes and things shifting around. And yeah, we've we've remained committed to that goal because we really want to achieve it. You know, it's not something that we just want to put on the back yeah. burner because 2020 has been a bit of a whoopsie type of year. <laughs> yeah. Um, for everyone. For yeah. We thought, you know what, like these people, the, and I think particularly because I didn't, I did this trip to Kenya last year. I, I did Cambodia a little earlier in the year. I'd been to Borneo the year before. And I, I have visited a lot of the projects that we actually give to. I've met the people, the recipients. I've seen the impact for myself the conditions that they live in don't compare to the hardship that we are suffering this year in 2020. So that's the thing. That's what drives me. I'm just like, this is not that bad, you know, I, and I don't mean to diminish the hardship of 2020 because for some it has been a horrific and the loss of life and impact on many businesses and, and individuals is, is really quite awful but the reality is a lot of these these organizations we're giving to, the people, the recipients of these impacts, that is no different than how they live every other day. Like it really isn't. And I know that can sound quite blunt, <laughs> but it's true. And so we just thought, you know what, no matter how hard this year gets, we need to keep fighting for it and, and make sure that we achieve that goal. I want to unpack a little bit on your objective for 2020. And if you can talk a little bit, how do you align this to your financial growth, right? For example, your objective over here for 2020 is that you continue, you pay all your staff and contractor the living wage or above. That's one, right? That has a financial implication to it. You also said in there that you provide affordable marketing opportunities to sustainable brands. So that has an implication as well to your revenue. You also provide a pro bono uh, marketing service to, uh, to non-for-profit. And that's also have an implication. All of this, all the decision, all the objective that any businesses made always have some kind of financial implication. That's why one of the purpose uh, or one of the reason that I want to speak with you is that as a CEO 
of a business that is growing and doing all this great thing, not only from business perspective, but also from social impact perspective, how do you balance this between impact and profit? How do you look at all your objective and then how do you translate those into your financial numbers? So we look at, right, what is the goal? The one overarching goal. So this is either annually or quarterly, whatever you decide. You take that goal and you say, okay, so here's the goal. What are the key objectives? So I usually try to put three objectives down. I find if I try to put anything more than that, that it's pretty unrealistic to actually achieve. So three core objectives that I need to hit, almost like milestones or benchmarks to be able to move us closer closer to that that overarching goal. And then for each of those objectives, we put down like quarterly, what is the detailed action required to get to this point and by when? So it's it's really, and I know that that sounds simple, but so goal, objectives, actions, and by when. That's the, the high level root of it. Because once you have that in place, then you hold yourself accountable to it you, whoever the person is that needs to action all of these items, you can delegate them to your different team members or whoever they might be. But everybody's clear on the direction of what, where we're trying to go and what we're trying to do. And then the other thing that we do quarterly, which is quite useful, and this maybe is a little bit less around social impact, but is equally important, I think, for any business, is a SWOT analysis. You know, SWOT analysis is something that many of us do when we start a business (laughs) or when we're about to launch a new uh, product or something. But I think it's really, really important to do far more regularly than that. So I I attempt to do it quarterly because 2020 is the perfect year to, to use as an example, right? Things change so quickly and rapidly that a SWOT analysis that you would have done for your business or your product or, you know, your CSR policy or whatever, even a year ago, is out the window, you know, <laughs> you, you need to start again. So doing, you know, the SWOT where you're f- figuring out what are those strengths? What are those weaknesses? What are those opportunities and threats? Like considering how the market has changed is really, really a valuable exercise. I guess discussing living wage and paying, making sure our team earn at least the living wage or above, which obviously in London, can, you know, can be fairly expensive. That is just a commitment. Like that is not something we flex on. We never have. It's, it is a commitment. So the way that, that the way that we make that achievable is that we work that into the way that we stack our packages. Right. So when we're we're putting together a service offering or a package, then we also have to look at the expense of delivering that cost. Right. So what is the basic expense of delivering this product? We know what that is. And then we obviously do our markup on that. Now, looking back to your financial knowledge journey from the beginning until now, right? If you can share one financial planning tool or process that helps you continue to focus on your social impact objective. But we also know in order for you to create more impacts, you also need to be profitable. I think the best piece of advice or something I wish I knew right at the beginning was how important really good financial advice was. Because, you know, when I first started the business, as I kind of mentioned in my opening story, it was, I'm almost an accidental entrepreneur, right? Like I built up a bunch of freelance clients and before I knew it, I had a business. So while that's great and amazing in some levels, it also, because it happened 
without a plan, I would say in the early days, is there wasn't really, <laughs> yep. I didn't have the the structure around me to actually help support on that. I have experience in marketing. The sales and marketing piece of my business is solid. <laughs> the finance piece, that's not my yes. specialty. And I've had to learn it over the last eight and a half years in business, but I learned through mistakes. And I think if you have the right team in place to advise you, you know, the right information at the right time, you can actually avoid a lot of those. Okay, so Stacy, any advice that you can share with other women founders, CEO on how they can incorporate B1G1 and where should they start? I'm obviously an advocate of B1G1, so I would really, really um, encourage anybody who is not already, if, if you're interested in doing any kind of social impact and making a difference, even if it's minuscule, even if it's really tiny and you're only looking to do the, you know, less than a dollar a month, like it is, it is, B1G1 is amazing. They really, really are. So I would absolutely encourage you to become a member of B1G1. Obviously you can visit their website and set up a call and, you know, become a member. I think that's the first thing. The second thing is just, you know, surrounding yourself with, I think particularly for women in business is surrounding yourself with other women because it is a unique challenge. I think running, being a female leader, I think it's something that we, we need each other. We need to rally around each other. We need to support each other. We need to be open and sharing and collaborating more. And for, hopefully I don't go off on a tangent on this, but this is also another one of my learnings from the trip that I did to Kenya last year, where I met some of these women who received some of the business loans. They taught us about their businesses and what they did within their, you know, what they did with the loan, how they set up the business. One thing I loved is they work in cooperatives. So six women will be in a co-op. And if my business has, has suffered this week, then Christina, you, you're, if you're in my co-op and your business is doing well, then you would maybe lend me some money to help me get back on my feet this week. Then I pay it back. And so they're almost like sharing resources. They take care of each other's children. If someone is sick, then they help, they all, you know, help to contribute financially towards that person. And it's, it's completely collaborative. And I just found that so impressive. I came back from that trip and I thought, what the heck am I doing? (laughs) So what did you do? Well, so I have, I have partnered with so many amazing and female led businesses this year. So I have partnerships with a PR agency, with a content firm, with another digital agency, um, with a branding agency, all female led. And we do, we share resources, we share tools and it's been amazing. It's, it should be a situation where actually in some ways we're competitors Technically, if you look at what we do as businesses, but because we respect each other and we have our own ambitions and we can see how collectively working and helping to support each other can actually raise all of us up, it's been amazing. Like it really has transformed the way that we do business. And I have, you know, the six women who received these business loans from us in Kenya last year for teaching me that lesson. It's it's interesting, right? Like, I mean, from what you learn from the trip uh, to Kenya, so many things that if you look back, you can really implement that. You can learn from them, even though they live less than us over here, but somehow they make it work and then they support each other with the little amount that they have. Meanwhile, we live in this developed country. Yeah. And- you know, we don't collaborate Not to that all. level. It's, it's honestly it blew my mind. I just thought, 
you know, we, you go there and, and a lot of people think, oh, you're going there and you're just like, you know, you're the one that's given them the loan and you're looking for credit or whatever for whatever you've given to them. And it's like, that was not the case at all. I think I learned more from that trip to help my own business than, than I'm sure they did for me. I'm quite sure about it. Actually, women are, we are better together and raising each other up is, is, should be a huge priority, I think, for any of us. Stacy, this has been amazing. Where can people mm. find you? <laughs> uh, LinkedIn is where I'm most active, <laughs> as you know. Um, so yeah, search for me on LinkedIn, Stacy Keogh, K-E-H-O-E. And of course, if you'd like to visit the agency website and check out our CSR page, as you've been referencing, um, that's brandlective.com, B-R-A-N-D-L-E-C-T-I-V-E.com. That's awesome. Stacy, thank you so much for being here. And that's bring us to the end of another show. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for women entrepreneurs. If you want to create a proactive financial plan and process for your business so you are ready to weather the financial storm over the next few months, let's chat and see what's possible for you. Book in a time to speak with me at christinashahli.com forward slash let's chat.